2: This is the Cubs Related Podcast presented by CubsInsider.com. My name is Corey. I am joined, as always, by Brendan. And we are coming to you on Sunday, August 8th, the Cubs and White Sox finishing up a series at Wrigley Field. That went about as you guys would have expected it would. Uh, the White Sox are very good, and the Cubs are not good. So that is how that series went. But I think uh, going forward here, kind of like Brendan and Greg did setting the table for us on the last episode, you heard. I think a lot of what we're going to talk about is you know kind of individual performances where guys fit in in the future picture for the rest of the season here in 2021, but especially as we head into the offseason and into 2022. So we'll take a look at a lot of guys on an individual basis. But before we do any of that, Brendan, like just generally, right, like now we are a week removed from the trade deadline. We've had a week now of lineups that kind of take you back to the early 2010s, right, where you're looking up and down the lineup. And I've definitely uh, seen some kind of like who? reaction you know sometimes when the lineups come out and it just given the lineups we've seen since say 2015 it's it's kind of jarring when at cubs tweets out the lineup and stuff like that but a a week removed how how are you feeling just overall about the state of things
1: i'm trying to ignore as much as possible those mets box scores yankees box scores i can't help myself the giants box scores i'm still um getting over it but in terms of the cubs I'm kind of owning in on what they're doing pitching wise. I'm following a lot of the minor leaguers, especially the new guys that were just acquired. And so, as best as possible, I'm just drafting myself. I'm excited about Justin Steele coming up. I think Rafael Ortega is interesting. And we're going to talk about those two guys today. But as best as I can, I'm just trying to block out that, uh, that horror story that was the trade deadline.
2: Yeah, I am with you on the uh not necessarily being able to ignore it. I I tell myself that it's not a good idea to, you know, check the Yankees box score or whatever. And, you keep and doing I keep doing it. it. Yeah, I I, I can't know. help We're myself. Disgusting. Yeah, and and like the MLB I'm network like watching
1: every one of his at bats. Yeah,
2: the MLB network has turned into basically uh let's check in on the former Cubs like update yeah. <laughs> channel uh, cuz that's basically like what the the highlight shows are. And uh, yeah, I I can't look away. I I mean, I'm rooting for all of them to succeed. I I just, uh, I can't help myself. I need to know what's going on and whether they're doing well, not well. And, you know, it's been a a bit of a mixed bag. It looks like KB and Anthony are are doing pretty well. um, And Javi has struggled a bit in in New York. So uh, hopefully... That's a tough place to play. So hopefully Javi can uh it weather is. the New York Mets media and fan base, which is sort of its own its own special beast, Monster. yeah, out there uh in in New York. But anyway, uh yeah, I you know, I I feel a a little better than I did a week ago. Um, you know, I was pretty miserable last weekend and watching those highlights, I do still feel very sad and I have a lot of anger and you know, different thoughts about it, but I do feel like at least, you know, now a week removed we, we can kind of dial into the future, which is all we really have a choice to do. And and yeah, like you, I, I've been following along with Greg, um, from the Growing Cubs podcast, Greg from Ivy Futures, uh, Brian Smith from Bleacher Nation, and just sort of seeing what a lot of these new prospects are up to, uh, some interesting things going on there, obviously continuing to follow along with Brennan Davis and everything that he is doing, Jordan Wogu, um, the Michigan man who's, uh, had a, a resurgence of in course his offense. mentioned them.
1: That's the second name you mentioned was Jordan Wogan. No, I mean, like, I get it. He's doing great. But, like, of all the guys we're talking he's about. He's been one of the hottest the, the hitters, the, these prospect guys I are know, telling me. So. I'm not – I just think it's funny how it's the Michigan guy that you're mentioning. I, I do That's
2: think all. our audience should be prepared for that because, like, I'm, I'm just telling you guys. I don't think they are. I don't think That's they horrible. are. I don't think you are,
1: Brendan. <laughs> I'm slowly learning
2: that I need if to be. If the Cubs have a Michigan alumni – on their MLB roster and he's like hitting tanks oh boy like you guys thought I was obnoxious about John Lester oh man you guys don't even know uh so I just I, you know I want to start sprinkling that in so that the audience has an expectation of like why is Corey so obsessed that's with fine. this guy why do we hear so much about this guy that's why go blue um but let's oh let's dig into uh, you know again like I'm the the, the Cubs Did not do well against the White Sox this weekend. Uh, We did get a a fun moment on Friday with Andrew Romine hitting his first home run since 2017. Uh, A three-run game-tying home run against Craig Kimbrell. The Cubs— That was Yeah, I mean, that was a great moment. I mean— Yeah, I enjoyed it. And the Cubs go on to lose the game, so it's, you know, it's like whatever. Whatever. Uh, But (laughs) it's sort of just a a shocking— seen there I mean uh, that that was more runs than Kimbrell had given up you know for the Cubs in, in one <laughs> swing and to a guy who had not hit a major league home run since 2017 it's just like one of those baseball things where there was such hype of Kimbrell coming back and getting back on the mound at Wrigley and it you know it, it
1: plays out in just the weirdest way possible can I be honest with you like I I want to root for these guys to do well I I mean to be completely honest i get satisfaction seeing that like i get satisfaction from the, the from the opposing fans like buying into the hype because we've even hurt so many times over the years where, where when Craig gives up a homer and you see the White Sox fans reaction it's like you can't help but smile a little bit I don't know if that makes me an evil person but I do find satisfaction from that also. well
2: I mean you know and there's something to we we do want the Cubs I guess to have been right I mean I'm definitely not rooting against Anthony and, and Chris and Javi I think in particular I'd like to see Andrew Chafin succeed in Oakland and stuff so I'm not rooting against these guys Craig too, right? Like I'm not, you know, I don't really care about the White Sox, but I'm not rooting against them. But there is sort of a like, look, you know, like we root for the Cubs, they made these moves, like you want them to be right, I guess, on on some of them, um, or at least have gotten the better end of the deal. So yeah, I
1: mean, I just enjoy seeing other fans like sad. That's all like, I actually genuinely appreciate that. I love when the Cubs are beating teams, you know, in the playoffs, and you see the, the sad yeah. fan shots around the stadium. I, I absolutely love that.
2: Yeah, well, you're a, I'm a
1: depraved human being. Yeah, I am a different human being. So
2: uh, let us start with what I think is the most interesting piece of news that we have going forward here, and that is that the Cubs are going to go to a six-man rotation, and that mm. is going to include Justin Steele, who was stretched out. Uh, he had five starts at Triple A. He had a zero point eight seven ERA over that time, uh, with twenty-seven strikeouts and nine walks in 20 and two thirds innings in Iowa. And of course we saw Justin in the majors and we, we you know we kind of got a look at his stuff and his mound presence and all that. But this is—I'm pretty excited for this, Brendan. Steele is only 26, and, you know, this was one of the things we heard that they might do this with Steele and potentially Keegan Thompson and just use this time for the rest of the year to give these guys looks. And I think when you look at the stuff— we saw from Steele when he was coming out of the Cubs bullpen and kind of that longer relief role and then seeing these numbers in Iowa as he's been stretched out I think it's hard not to be excited you know it's 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 not an easy transition right to go from AAA to the majors and to sort of try to develop as a major league starting pitcher so it it, it may come with some bumps and bruises and it, it may not all be perfect but Steele is an exciting guy. He's got exciting stuff. and and I think uh, from the time that we saw him in the Cubs bullpen, you know, he he comes across as a guy who has that major league mound presence. he's he's a you know, he battles when he's out there on the mound. He's a high energy guy. And I think, given everything that we've gone through in the last week as as a fan base, it's nice to have something new to look forward to. We've been digging into Zalai. We'll talk about Zalai's start against the White Sox, which was a really good one. Uh, but it's you know each time we kind of get a new guy to take a look at and see like okay let's let's see what what Justin can do here uh, for the rest of the season and and how that kind of reconfigures our plans heading into 2022. So Tuesday should be uh, an exciting night there field.
1: It's especially exciting, too, because he's been doing so well in his ramp-up period in Iowa. He's going to be coming back to the bigs, having finished his stint in Iowa with a 1.3 ERA. And his strikeout rate, even as a starter, is approaching double digits per nine innings. That's exciting to me. And when we were talking with Greg Huss, or when I was talking to Greg Huss on the last episode, Greg was really, really confident that his velocity could last, you know, through the fourth and fifth innings, around 93, 94, 95. Just given what we've seen during his rehab starts, I think the plan there with the six-man rotation too is to ease steel in to going those five innings, six innings, maybe as the months continue, but also to give Alcides some right. some more of a of a breather here, right? Yeah, so we still out. know, yeah, we still know that Alcides needs pitch limits he needs an innings limit based on everything going on with covid for Steele, he's going to be operating probably underneath the same type of restrictions. so it's fun to see him get chances there and it's going to be within weeks you know we see keegan thompson starting to get chances out of the rotation too with Steele, the fascinating part about him is that he may be displaying a pitch repertoire that's very different than what we saw when he was coming out of the bullpen. When he was coming out of the bullpen, he was principally a fastball slider guy. He was throwing a slider about 30% of the time. And what's interesting about that pitch, Corey, that Greg said was Steele developed that slider during last year's alternative site in South Bend during the COVID season. That's a new pitch. That slider is just as new as Azolais new slider. So that that's just gives me so much more confidence in, in Tommy Hotovie. This is a Tommy Hotovie uh love podcast. But it's it's truly like impressive to see Steele all of a sudden go to the bigs and throw a pitch that's new once every three times. So what he's gonna be doing differently though, perhaps is throwing more change-ups and throwing more curveballs. He used to be a curveball-dominant guy, and he did not throw many curveballs out of the bullpen. And the change-up, according to Baseball Savant, he didn't throw one change-up his entire time out of the bullpen. He told Greg that when Greg was interviewing him, which we're going to hear more about. And go listen to that podcast, by the way, the Growing Cups podcast. Very, very informative. Greg's a great guy, but they they give like really detailed analysis of these guys. So Justin Steele told Greg... That he's going to be trying to sprinkle in some changeups, maybe like around five to 10 percent of his pitches, but also might go back to throwing more curveballs. So that's going to be what I'm looking for as he comes back out of the rotation. And I'm excited because he has that velocity, he has that like clean lefty look and he's 26 with years and years of team control so if he and alzalay can finish this year strong that gives me so much more confidence going into the offseason
2: yeah and as we've talked about a lot some of this stuff just really does inform the the stuff that we at least can know on the surface about what the 2022 team is going to look like we don't know what the spending is going to look like you know you listen to that interview with uh tom ricketts on marquee and it's sort of just a bunch of empty platitudes and you don't really get any definitive timelines or or anything of substance other than kind of their usual like eventually we'll be back to spending and, and all this other stuff and so you, you can't you, you don't know what's gonna happen there. You gotta figure out what's gonna happen with the collective bargaining agreement in the off season. Well and- I
1: think even Jed said that too, Corey. Like there's a lot of different ways this can go out. So there's it's 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 gonna be a lie if we're told hey there is this singular plan because if Steel advances that timeline, Alice Light advances that timeline at right. Keegan Thompson, they actually make go out and spend more than you think right
2: now right well and you know again like if you can get alzali to a place where he looks more like he did against the white Sox here this weekend if Steele looks like someone you can insert say as a you know four or five starter even something like that you know again as we've kind of repeated over and over again the, the more of these spots you can kind of fill out the less money they even have to spend to continue making the team competitive, yeah. even though, of course, we're all hoping that they spend a lot of money. So I just think it's nice to have guys like this. And, you know, steel is going to be something that, you know, you're not going to get answers on everything on Tuesday, right, in one start against the Milwaukee Brewers. But it'll it'll give us all something to kind of dig into and sink our teeth into over the course of these uh, last couple months of this season and then of course seeing what shows up in in spring training and the work he does in the off season, and yeah. you know you kind of compare it to what we've seen with Al and we'll be able to look at like what does Steele's uh, pitch sequencing look like on Tuesday what are the results and then how do they adjust that do we see different pitches do we see him develop different pitches do we see certain pitches scrapped and you know kind of a, a particular repertoire being established it's We'd much rather be focusing on a pennant race, right, Brendan? But this at least gives us stuff to dig into that is pretty specific. And and you can kind of look for certain things to say, yeah, like this is clearly something that is working. Mm -hmm. The Cubs have something here. This is clearly a guy that's going to be in their rotation plans when we get back into Mesa next March or February, whenever that is. Or this is not really working, and you know they're going to have to look elsewhere. So it, at least it gives us something to do, right?
1: Yeah, I'm and I, I, I'm really curious too about that walk rate. The walk rate being above four batters per nine innings, I want to see that go down. Um, and it hasn't been down in Triple A, but that might be because he was working on developing that changeup and going back to that curveball. So in my mind, when I watch Steele, and in some Respect, it's similar to Alzolite, even though he's at a more uh, a more advanced stage. I'm not going to be looking at the total sum numbers. It's more like what is each pitch doing? How effective are they from a width point of view? And how is he changing from game to game? And if his ERA is like five by the end of this 2021 season, but he shows like towards the tail end that he's rapidly shifting things around and each specific pitch type is doing something that's impressive, then I'm not gonna care about that five year A. Kind of like how we are with Alzheimer's right now. Like the total sum of the numbers for Alzeleye don't suggest he's like a top three starter at this point. But as we continue to watch and progress and develop new pitches, change ups, cutters, all this, you can very easily see him becoming that that top three starter in that rotation yeah. for next year.
2: Yeah, and, you know, again, kind of like with other guys, like this is a, a situation to kind of preach patience a little bit right it's it's not like you said Brendan it's not going to be 100% results like we've seen Steele be able to pitch very effectively to major league hitters so we know we can do it and now it's about you know kind of carving out this specific role and i think a lot of these next Couple months, however many starts, you know, it's not going to be that many starts overall over the next couple months, especially if the Cubs are, are sticking with a six-man rotation for for the time being. But this is an information-gathering period, right, for the front office and for Tommy Hotovy yeah, and the pitching infrastructure that then you know, they'll put it all together in, in the lab in the off season and in spring training. And hopefully they they spit out a guy who can be an effective member of this rotation in 2022. But it's, 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 it's just one of those things that's exciting. And I think in particular, because this is not something we've done a lot with the Cubs over the years. You know, a lot of the focus on developing guys and bringing up guys and having these kind of debuts that we're looking at, mostly hitters. Right, and so it's 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 just sort of nice to be able to focus on pitchers, and uh, you know, particularly someone like Steele, it's a change of pace and uh, something that I am looking forward to. But since we're on the topic of pitchers, and we brought up his name a little bit, I am going to do the usual here uh, and turn it over to you, Brendan, and have you break down what you saw from Adbert Azalei on Saturday against the White Sox. So just to give you his line to sort of set Brendan up here, six and two-thirds, six hits, two earned. Uh, He did not give up any home runs, which was obviously good to see. No walks and seven strikeouts. So this was uh, on 90 pitches against a very tough White Sox lineup, so it 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 started in similar fashion that we've seen uh, with some of Al Salai's recent starts, where a lefty Moncada uh, took him deep, I think, off the wall for a two you know a two-run double, and it kind of had that feel of like okay, you know, this is a, a similar tale that we've seen with the left-handed hitters, uh, but really settled down. Obviously, that was the only damage uh, in the whole game with those two runs. No walks, 7K. So from a numbers perspective and, and you know, visually, this looked really good. But what did you see kind of getting under the hood there, Brendan?
1: Well, we're trying to find ways to see Al Zaliah compete against lefties, right? That's been the, the MO, even from David Ross during the press conferences. And so he's adapting, and it's going to be a work in progress. And now you see one of the ways he's trying to adapt is throwing more change-ups. I, I find that fascinating because we were discussing al changeup change-up when he debuted, what was it, like two and a half years ago now, two years ago now, I'm forgetting where that was, but when he debuted, he had that change-up going. That was his primary, secondary pitch, even separate from his curveball, which he was known for as he was coming through the system. This is a very different version of al that I'm talking about in 2018, 2019 than we are looking at right now. So now, when he started 2021, he was basically sinker, slider, and that's that's like almost it. And so as the year has gone on, he's developed more confidence in his changeup, and that changeup might be effective against lefties, given that it moves the other way, tailing away from lefties. So that might complement his slider, might complement his uh, cutter. That's also new. He threw more cutters ever. He developed that new cutter a couple weeks ago in, in, in his career. So it's fun to see how on a game-to-game basis he's changing. And now the latest change, no pun intended, is, is that change-up. So he threw the most change-ups in his last start against the White Sox at any point this season and any point last season. So you have to go back to his debut season to find similar rates of changeup usage. The best part about this is that the changeup was not being used as a show-me pitch. He used that changeup almost 25% of the time against the White Sox. He threw that pitch 21 times in 90 pitches. And Corey, he got seven whiffs on that pitch. That was the one pitch that got the most whiffs of any of them that day. He threw 34 sliders. He got five whiffs on those 34 sliders. He threw 25 sinkers. He got two whiffs. On that same so the changeup getting seven whiffs signals that that was not in the scouting report for Alcibi. It will be going forward, so it's going to be interesting to see how hitters adapted that, and if Alcibi continues to be comfortable using that pitch. If he is, then he has a slider, curveball, change of four-seam cutter, and uh, curveball. That that's six pitches, and he's shown at some point in the season throwing. Any one of those six pitches, almost twenty percent of the time, right? That's remarkable. I I cannot emphasize enough how impressive that is. That at some point by this end of the year, he will have thrown one of his six pitches at least twenty percent of the time in each game. That's in, that's absolutely insane given his trajectory and how he's such a different pitcher from twenty nineteen. So that's that's the encouraging part. And when the game started. He gave up some hard hit balls against lefties, but you saw even the Pitching Ninja highlight those changeups that just sunk away and down from left-handed batters getting whiffs. And when you overlay that with sliders, now you're seeing why it could be effective. And with Adberg, one of his intentions with his sinker is to go up and in to lefties. And the one of the reasons why I think he might be struggling this year against lefties is because that pitch is going to tail back into the barrel, right? Like you see that happen against a lot of his red start this year, where he's he's locating somewhat well, but just very little margin of error. And if he misses his spot by an inch, it's going to find the barrel. So if he throws that changeup, he changes he he changes the view for the batter on a similar spin pitch it might be harder for the batter to pick up even stinkers within the same game so that's what you have to look for i'm excited we, we talked about this a few weeks ago hey we, we might see more changeups. we're seeing more change-ups now Corey. yeah and you know one
2: thing in particular just you know that i noticed was i mentioned obviously that moncada got him for the two rbi double in that first inning but there was a really good uh at bat from alzali against him later in the game where he struck him out swinging on a changeup just below exactly. the zone really well executed pitch and again it's it's a little thing it's it's anecdotal right and it doesn't tell the whole story but Moncada lefty hit him hard in the first at bat advert made an adjustment and got him on a you know swinging strikeout later in the game he didn't have another hit against him after that so you know adjustments being made um and you know you're looking at some of the white Sox better hitters at least in the lineup on saturday um are right-handed right but you see them teeing off on zach Davies, uh so it's you know i i just say that it's it's you know it's not a as lefty heavy of a lineup as you could possibly see but the righties can still do damage against righties, so uh, Adbert was still pitching to a very solid lineup, to say the least, uh, and was very effective against them, so yeah, I thought that was a, a nice start from Adbert, and uh, one to build on, and, and you know, one thing you see with him too, and I think you're going to see this from a lot of guys, but uh, toward the end of his outing, you know, had a big strikeout to end an inning, and a lot of fire from Adbert and it's one of those things to remember as the Cubs are probably not going to win a lot of games going forward here but some of these young guys have a ton of stuff to play for and you just love to see it as a fan like I don't know how many of you are you know watching every minute of every game now and stuff like that and it's it's certainly a consolation prize right again it's it's not what we all want to be dialing into but it it's it's exciting to see some of these guys, and I expect we see the same with Justin Steele because we've seen this energy out of him on the mound before, these guys are playing for you know, kind of to like establish their careers and and carve out roles and and carve out jobs basically going forward. And it's exciting to follow the process with some of these guys, especially you know for me, like listening to Brennan break all this down and seeing everything that Alzai is doing. You know, it's it, you're you're rooting for him. I think we're rooting for all of these guys. But you just you you learn and you pay attention to the sheer amount of work that someone like Alzai is putting in, the changes he's going through and and just sort of being accepting of all of that. It's exciting to see them fired up in these little moments, even if the games themselves are not going the Cubs way and don't really mean that much anymore from a a win-loss perspective, unless you're hunting to get into the the top 10 of the uh, MLB draft coming up next year. So... It's yeah. The, the, we we've got some stuff to to pay attention to, and I think those two guys in the rotation, in particular, are kind of the headliners there. I would expect that Keegan Thompson gets in there at some point, and is another one to watch and and be excited for and and root along with, as they are. Going on this journey, um, it's it's certainly a nice change of pace from the, like, Arietta and Zach Davies starts, right? Like, where it's just like, okay. Oh, you don't like those? I, well, and, you know, it just you. doesn't really seem to have much future <laughs> bearing for the Chicago Cubs, so it's just kind of like, okay.
1: Arrieta does have an option for next year, Corey. What are you talking oh, about? Oh, boy. Um, another
2: podcast, but uh, let's... Still hurts. Let,
1: we'll, we'll stick with pitching
2: um, and want to okay. talk about uh, someone in the bullpen, who I think is, you know, kind of another in this group uh, to be keeping an eye on, paying attention to, and uh, I think potentially getting excited about, and that is uh, Manny Rodriguez. So, you know, he picked up his uh, first save in, in that last series in Colorado, and, you know, again, like, has adjustments to make. We'll see how it goes, but this is an opportunity for him for the rest of this season, probably going to stick in that back end of the bullpen role. Um, You know, again, like I said, got his first career save the other day, but he's probably going to be the one that gets these opportunities because I think the Cubs are trying to figure out if they've got back end relievers on their hands, right? You know, um, and pumping 99, 100, really, you know, stuff that jumps off the screen, right? And, gave up some bombs has has had his moments where he's going to have to adjust and and get over these kind of uh first outing type hurdles but a very very interesting reliever to keep an eye on
1: as we move forward here Brendan one that has kind of escaped prospect leaderboards for a variety of reasons but one just kind of like an unorthodox development trajectory some injuries earlier on in his career but you can't ignore him anymore. He's someone who throws upwards to triple digits, Corey. And he's 25 years old, just turned 25 two days ago. You can't ignore him. And when we see his stuff from a stack-ass perspective, it just it, it, it jumps out. I mean, his, his sinker averages 98 miles per hour. And it has 15% more break than an average sinker that's insane and I'm wondering too and we can get more information about this maybe from Greg or others but we've learned throughout the last two years that the pitch that the Cubs are trying to develop with a lot of their guys has been the sinker So for me to see that he's throwing a sinker almost 50 percent of the time that's more than 50 percent of the time since debuting with the Cubs, that, that, to me, signals he may have changed something over the last year and a half. And he's not the same type of prospect, even from a year and a half, two years ago. Another point of emphasis that this current pitching developmental team, there is successfully promoting the development of their guys. We never saw this three, four years ago. We're seeing it right now. So Manny Rodriguez, 25 years old, he throws a sinker on average. On average, 98 miles per hour. And then he throws a four seamer, you know, around the same velocity, upwards triple digits. And then he throws this slider as his main secondary pitch. His slider is very interesting because it's not really a sharp horizontally breaking pitch. It's more of like a vertically dropping pitch. And if you look at the Pitching Ninja's uh, uh, GIF of him, it, it's hard to pick up what it even is. I know. Rob Freeman, he thought that it was a cutter at first. It was 90 miles per hour, and it just kind of just drops. Uh, It's it's a very unique pitch. So the fact that it uh, moves below league average horizontally is not that big of a deal, I think. I think it's more interesting that it drops more than league average, uh, and it's thrown at a 90-mile-per-hour consistent rate it's, it's it's really exciting now the one thing with Manny is that uh, we have to see some of the command be consistent and we don't really know given his sample this year uh, what that command can be like in, in, a, in a big league setting so in his last nine innings two of those nine innings being with the Cubs at the Bigs he's only walked two guys So that's encouraging you know he was in double a this year in tennessee and in 13 innings not that big of a sample but his walk rate was almost seven batters per nine innings then he goes to iowa for seven innings that's a 2.45 walk per nine rate and then he has not walked one guy since being uh, called up to the bigs. So that's what I'm looking for is the command, can he be consistent, the stuff we know is going to play because very few pitchers throw sinkers at a 100-mile-per-hour clip without much braking movement. So for him, it's just more of a, of a command-type issue, which I think over the course of the season, we'll be pretty confident in where we stand with that. Yeah, and remember, Rodriguez was uh, the
2: other Cubs representative at this year's uh, MLB All-Star Futures game, along with Brennan Davis, who was the MVP of that game. MVP, correct, yes. Rodriguez pitched uh, an inning in that game, had a strikeout, uh, walked someone. But, you know, you remember everyone was kind of uh, focused on that because I, I believe he touched 99-100 in that game and it was kind of eye-popping. But yeah, and and I, I think it's, it's always worth paying attention to a lot of these younger guys who are getting opportunities in the Cubs bullpen because kind of playing into that, what, what is 2022 going to look like? The one thing that we've seen this team clearly be able to do over the years is put a bullpen together without necessarily spending a lot of money. On said bullpen, right? They, they ended up spending on Craig Kimbrell. That was kind of a unique circumstance that, that led them there. But even aside that, like we've just seen them be able to piece together bullpens, whether it was identifying effective guys from other organizations, guys like Chafin and Tapera who came over and had better seasons with the Cubs um, than maybe they did other places. Um, Reinventing guys, you know, you think of like someone like Jeremy Jeffress, when the Cubs brought him over and they kind of reworked his repertoire and he had kind of a a better season than the one he had had prior to that uh so it's always interesting to see these guys get a shot because this is not an area that the Cubs have shown in the last few years an inability to figure this out right so it doesn't necessarily have to be Manny Rodriguez but he's going to get some shots here And it's always interesting, I think, to focus on because you just sort of assume going forward that the Cubs are probably going to handle this, uh, I don't necessarily want to say completely in-house, but no matter how much money they're spending, I don't really expect them to do that much in the bullpen because it just has not been an area of necessity in terms of allocating whatever resources Jed Hoyer or in the past Theo Epstein has had because the pitching infrastructure just seems to be able to figure out how to get outs in the bullpen from whatever it is that they're working with. So I'm looking forward to uh, seeing what Manny can do and if he can kind of continue that trend of, hey, we found a guy. We got a guy pumping 99-100. He's, he's working on these pitches, and we don't need to go spend a bunch of money on uh, a new closer now that Craig Kimball is gone. We've we've got him right here or you know whoever else it might be. So That is, I think, the status of the Cubs pitching staff. I'm assuming you guys don't want to hear us break down uh, Rex Brothers or Dan Winkler. We can if you guys want, if you guys are really jonesing for that, but um, Zach Davies. Yeah, we can, uh, the breakdown of Zach Davies is that he's serving up bombs. That's, that's the, uh, breakdown of that. Not a good matchup with the, uh, Chicago White Sox and their, their power hitting, um, to, uh, be facing Zach Davies. But let's transition to some of the guys on the offense. And I think, you know, again, keeping with this theme of like, not necessarily 2021 but what are we seeing and how does it relate to 2022 and I think one of the the most interesting guys for that conversation is uh Rafael Ortega he has put together a really nice season here for the Cubs thus far um you know heading into Sunday night's game with the White Sox played in 55 games uh, good for 144 plate appearances. And has a slash line of 313, 371, 519, which is good for a 379 weighted on-base average, and a 138 WRC+, plus, which, reminder, 100 is league average. So well above that. Um, good for a clean 1.0 win above replacement. Um, I think, you know, eye test, right? Fine base runner, fine fielder, nothing special in any of those regards, but I I, I don't think bad in either of those regards either. And I think he's one of those guys. He's 30, and this is certainly, by a long shot, the most successful season, even though the the other years uh, he had time in 2016, 2018, and 2019. Debuted in 2012, but only six plate appearances back then with the Rockies, so that's not really much to discuss. Um, but has had, you know, some time with the Angels, the Marlins, and the Braves in 16, 18, and 19. 2021 with the Cubs, by far, his most successful season. He was not good in any of those other seasons. But when you are trying to piece together a roster, Brendan, you know, I think there, there's some, some, well, I don't want to say certainties because the Cubs just traded guys I didn't necessarily ever think they would trade. Mm. Um, But if you're looking at 2022, right, at least now you're assuming, okay, like Wilson is your catcher. Um, Nico Horner is going to be somewhere Nick Madrigal is going to be somewhere and you're kind of looking for who else can we slot in and then build around in free agency or trades things like that bring in the power to go with some of these contact hitters that they now have in Horner and Madrigal and I think Ortega at least at the moment is one of those guys where you're going to ask that question because he's having a very very nice season but the question I'll pose to you to maybe uh, help articulate for me and and, uh, all of our listeners here is what is happening that is different than these past seasons when he's gotten time at the major league level and is the stuff that is different and of course these results are different can we buy into that at all, And, you know, again, keeping the context of can he be someone who fills a role on the 2022 Cubs? Not is he going to put up a 140 WRC plus playing center field for the Cubs 162 games or something like that, but can he be a part of a successful offense in whatever role they would decide to deploy him in?
1: the big change for Ortega, just reducing it down to one thing, is that launch angle. So his launch angle on average this year is almost 18 degrees. A couple years ago, it was really, really minimal. It was only six degrees. This is dating back to 2016. And then in 2018, it was 12 degrees. 2019, uh, almost 14 degrees. Now this year, almost 18 degrees. So you can see how it's gradually gone higher, and that's corresponded to more extra base hits, the ability to lift the ball more, getting more gap shots, getting more home runs, as we're seeing driving the ball just further. That's what you want from anyone, right? His overall numbers this year are not really fluky either. Like his success in his current sample is mostly because he's truly hitting the ball well. His expected weighted on base average is 350. His actual WOBA is almost 380, right? So it's not to say that all of his success is fluky. Now, is it sustainable? We'll see, right? the the big thing for Ortega is how will he continue to adjust when given consistent playing time and facing scouts on a day-to-day basis so that's my question and when i look at some of the breakdowns of pitch types currently he's just smashing fastballs and changeups he has positive run value against those pitches he's kind of in a process of of doing well against Breaking pitches and off speed pitches. His expected weight on base average for those breaking pitches is below 300, but when you look at changeups and fastballs, it's 350 plus. But at least he's hitting changeups. And from a secondary perspective, he's faced more changeups so far this year than sliders. So I'm thinking to myself, it might be uh, a challenge as August rolls through and September rolls through for Ortega to. Go against sliders. He might be seeing more sliders. That's been Jason Hayward's struggle this year. He's seen way more sliders. So as you continue to watch Ortega, that's what I'm looking at. Can he hit breaking pitches? Because if he can, then in my mind, going into the offseason, you have a guy that's a utility outfielder. I'm not going to start him, Corey. Uh, I think there's too much uncertainty with that unless sure. he completely destroys August and September. But I'm looking at him as kind of like a potential fill for what you wanted from i mean you wanted more from hap that's not even fair but like right yeah no i know what you mean yeah but you're looking for someone you know who can fill in as a fourth or fifth outfielder at, at every single position, left field, center field, and right field. And for Ortega, given that he's not a strikeout guy and makes up well above the average contact, even though his strikeout rate is a little bit higher, that should come down. So that's, that gives me some, some confidence that going into 2022, you don't have to spend on money to get a backup outfielder. You don't have to spend on Jake Marisnyk again. Uh, you don't have to spend on a Matt Duffy again to get that contact guy. You have one in Ortega, and to me, that's extremely valuable
2: in a group with someone like Patrick Wisdom, right, where you're trying to figure out, like, clearly mm-hmm. these guys are having somewhat of a breakout performance relative to what they've done in the past. Is it sustainable? And what, what, if anything, could we count on them for in terms of 2022, right? I don't think you're looking at either of those guys. I don't think you're looking at Patrick Wisdom necessarily and saying, okay, can he replace Chris Bryant or Anthony Rizzo or something like that? It's it's more just, is what we're seeing sustainable at all? Can they continue to make adjustments like you said, Brendan? Can they continue to perform through August and September? Because they're going to get chances, right? Ortega's been out there a ton, leading off a ton. The Cubs are clearly asking and trying to answer this question for themselves, right? And so those guys are kind of in one basket of what you're looking at for. And then, of course, now with the lineups you're seeing every day, guys like Schwindel, Dykeman, et cetera, those are guys, you know, coming up and, and getting this opportunity. And you're kind of seeing what they can do in this time with the Cubs. With Ortega and Wisdom, you've kind of already seen it. You're just sort of asking like, OK, is this a mirage? Is this something that we can build into 2022? And, and what kind of might that role be? look like for these guys going forward but yeah I mean look it's undeniable that he's had a a very successful season going back to Ortega specifically I mean he has barreled up eight balls uh, according to StatCast in 2021 which is more than he had in any other time in the majors combined Uh, 2019 he had three barrels 2018 and 2016 none uh, way more hard hit balls, hard hit rate. Previously in his time in the majors was around 23, 25 percent, 43 percent with the Cubs in 2021. So the change in exit or uh, excuse me, launch angle, tweak with the swing, it's it's paying off. It's just a question of if this is something that he can keep up with. Uh, over the course of these next few months. And of course, as pitchers continue to try to make adjustments against those changes that he has made. But uh, you always want some of these things, right? As long as there's some of these guys breaking out and and sort of giving you uh, these questions to ask, that is a good thing because the opposite side of this coin is the discussion with Ian Happ. And I I don't know if we've checked in on this in a while, but I, I do think it is worth checking in on um, this is a, a this is a confusing one, and I'm going to be very curious to see how the Cubs handle this one going forward because it continues to be a pretty massive struggle for Hap in 2021. Uh, again, I don't remember the last time we spoke about him specifically, Brendan, but really not much has changed. Um, 180 average, 293 on base percentage, 329 slugging percentage, 11 home runs on the year. And that is all good for a 280 weighted on base average and a 74 WRC plus so well below league average. And the uh, wins above replacement metric has him as sub replacement level. So not good. And it's it's particularly interesting to me because he he's he's still only 26 years old. He's almost 27. He turns 27 in a few days, uh, so a preemptive happy birthday to Ian Happ, I, I suppose, is in order, um, as we're talking about his, his struggles. So not exactly the, the most genuine happy birthday wish, um, but the interesting thing about Happ is he's only 27, obviously a former first-round pick, and the career numbers at the MLB level still look fine for an outfielder, not where you would want them to be for a first round pick. And we've discussed still looks very raw and unpolished in the field in terms of his routes and things like that. And at this point, I don't know that that's going to get any better. He rates pretty poorly um, in some of the defensive metrics. But it's just such an odd spot, Brendan, because 2020, you know, obviously has that big first half but tapers off a bit, but even if you're looking at his career numbers as a major league player since he uh, debuted in 2017, they're just much better than what we're seeing in 2021. This is is a pretty uh, massive downturn for him, and I'm just going to be curious what the Cubs decide to do with that? And I suppose the question that you're, you're, if we're looking at the questions we're asking about these other guys, the question for Hap, I, I believe, I don't know if you disagree, is does he have a role in, in 2022? What are you even able to commit to him? Or are is there going to be a belief in the front office that there's something they can change and they can kind of get him back to more in line with the career numbers that he's put up? But but since the last time that we spoke, has anything changed from what you've seen from him? And, and, and what is your thought? Like, if he performed more in line with his career over these last couple months, in August and September, would that change your opinion of what you've seen from him in 2021 going into 2022? Have you kind of made your mind up there? Like, what are you you feeling about this?
1: I feel like there's not that much time left to go. So, for Hap, he has to kill it. He has to absolutely go in an extreme that's in a positive direction, I think, for a lot of fans to get over the first four months of the season and be confident about what he can provide in 2022. So that's that's where I'm at. If he's not going to kill it in the next six, seven weeks of the season, then as a fan, I don't see how you can accurately project him in that lineup for next year. You have no choice but to go out and fill that outfield position. You cannot rely on him to do this. The most confusing part about Hap's season is his plate discipline. If you were to have told me that going into 2021, that Hap's chase rate would be 21%. It would be better than 85% of the league. And his contact rate would also improve to over 70%, almost 71%, which is within range of league average. I would have thought he got better. That his weighted on base average would be like 350-ish. That he'd be a consistent starter, Not on this every other day or every other three day basis. It would be a consistent starter every day. So it's I'm like I don't understand this. I don't understand what what is what is going on here. And remember, the first five weeks we heard not from us, but and maybe we didn't say it, but like the expected weighted on base Mm -hmm. average was so good. And even Ian said this in his own press conferences, that I have to continue doing what I'm doing. My expected weighted on base average is good. And it was. It was around 350 plus for a good while there. Now, Corey, it's in the bottom 10th percentile of the week. It's, it's, this is not an unlucky thing. So what is the change that needs to be done? I have no idea. But when we look at his ability to hit the ball hard, it's still there. His max exit velo is better than 85% of the league. So he can do that. He's just not doing it consistently for reasons I don't comprehend. The plate discipline appears better, but maybe that plate discipline, maybe it's not even a maybe. Maybe he can't be this type of guy who's trying to make more contact. It's kind of like the similar convo we had with Javi for years. Javi, just accepted it. He's going to go out there, he's going to swing like crazy, and he's going to make uh, you know, league-wide terrible contact rates every single season, but he's going to give you those 30-plus homer potential seasons all the time. Perhaps, maybe that's just who he is, and if that's who he is, then separately, you have to ask the question as a fan, do you want to go down this route again? Because we've done it multiple times now. We've gone down this route with Schwarber. We've gone down this route with Javi. We we want to to see these guys change their plate approaches drastically. But in years past, with this current hitting infrastructure, it has not worked. So I don't know what to do. And to me, if he continues to be this bad, I mean, who knows what they're going to be looking like for the end of uh, 2021 going into 2022. But like a non-tender has to be on the table, I think, Um you know, he's going to be due for around four and a half, five million arbitration. And I think you have to ask yourself the question, can I use that money better and with more confidence? It's a, it's, a, it's a terrible thing to say, but you have to be realistic with where you are at this point.
2: Yeah. what What's particularly interesting and kind of why I was referencing the career numbers, and you sort of alluded to this um, talking about, you know, some of these other guys, Theo at one point in in one of his interviews or press conferences admitted that the team had stuck with guys for too long in some cases and and not maybe pulled the trigger on trades that could have recalibrated you know who the core was and what it looked like and the profile of of how they were as hitters and things like that um because they just stuck with these guys right you know almora is is an example um, russell is an example back you know when he was with the team and there, there's more of them. But I think this is going to be an interesting sort of case study of what does Jed Hoyer's front office look like with these types of decisions? Because I don't, you know, again, like not knowing the budget and thing and what exactly their intent is on 2022 in terms of how competitive they want to be and things like that, it's, it's always harder to answer these questions, as we always say. But it, it is sort of an opportunity where you're kind of—Jed your is going to be presented with sort of the same thing that we've seen in other cases with different players, where it's like something is not going right. They are not making the strides that you want them to, um, you know, because I think you look at the beginning of 2020 and kind of the trajectory of Hap's career— and you go back to some of the the comments that we heard even in the offseason and early in the season from David Ross, like they envisioned Hap being the leadoff hitter on this team and leading a, a very successful offense and developing into that guy. And so not only did that not happen, but he's regressed massively. So this is going to be a spot where it's like, OK, I mean, I, I don't know that there's a clear cut answer here because there's some questions that we, we don't have the answers to, but we've heard the members of this past front office talk about sticking with guys too long hoping on the vision that you had of them as as players when you drafted them or when you were developing them and not sort of cutting bait or moving on or sort of pivoting the plan early enough and this is kind of one of those spots where it's 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 going to be interesting. Do they um, still envision him as, as the everyday center fielder, leading off, things like that, and they have adjustments to make? Do they now view him as sort of just a complementary player, kind of similar to the way we were talking about maybe that's the role Ortega can occupy, fourth, fifth outfielder, part of the bench, switching off positions, things like that, depending on what you need? Or do they say, yeah, no, this went way the wrong direction. We've already moved on from huge pieces of, of this past team and members of the core and, and the championship team, and we're going to do the same here. So that is uh, something to keep an eye on. And, and I'm not sure what that decision is going to be, but it, it does – you know, sort of stand to reason that these next couple months could at least inform that, right? If it continues at this pace, I think perhaps you lean more towards the latter of those options. And, you know, like you said, Brennan, if he goes on some sort of heater and, you know, there's things that you can see in adjustments, maybe that changes the perspective of the front office. But it's it's been disappointing to say the least. I'm sure it's incredibly frustrating for Ian Happ, who I, I believe was also sort of hoping to be kind of developing and, and sort of taking things to that next level. And, it uh has not happened it has gone the opposite way so that's uh, kind of where things are at for the Chicago Cubs. But that is kind of uh, what the rest of this season is going to be, Brendan. It's going to be looking at these guys and, and seeing what kind of answers we can come up with for 2022. And, and I think we're going to continue seeing guys get called up and get opportunities, you know, especially once we hit September and stuff like that. And for again you know a week removed it it still stings the trade deadline still stings seeing those three guys in, in different uniforms still stings but we're going to continue to get things to dig into and it's got a lot of importance for the future especially
1: if uh some of this goes right let's preview the upcoming four game sets against the milwaukee brewers so we have First game at Wrigley Field, Monday night, 7.05 p.m. Central start time. We have Alec Mills on the mound for the Cubs with a record of 5-4, four, a 4.41 ERA. He'll be facing Milwaukee's Freddy Peralta, who's killing it this year, unfortunately. He has an 8-3 record, a 2.21 ERA. We did not talk about Mills today, but I'm sure we'll be talking a lot more about him. He's had a free agent until 2026, so uh, just having that team control is, is appealing in and of itself so then on Tuesday we have Justin Steele making his starting debut for the Cubs this season Milwaukee has not announced a starter for that set but Steele takes the ball at 7:05 p.m central and then on Wednesday again Milwaukee has not announced their starter for that game either Jake Arrieta gets the ball for the Cubs 5 and 10 a 6.34 ERA not Good. That game, another night game, uh, 7.05 p.m. Central start time. On Thursday, again, Milwaukee's still dealing with their rotation, so stay tuned if you even care about who they're going to pitch. I don't think any of you guys care who they're going to pitch, but Kyle Hendricks is going to be facing Milwaukee to finish off this four-game set. Kyle's record on the year is 13-4, a 3.68 ERA, wrapping up another quality season. Kyle Hendricks is... The Cubs, uh, I don't even want to say the record, it hurts to say, but uh, not good. Milwaukee, first place, continues to do really good. What we're looking for with this series is obvious. We're looking at Justin Steele, first and foremost. How is he going to look as a starting pitcher? Is he going to be throwing more change-ups? Is he going to be throwing fewer sliders? Continue to monitor Alec Mills. He might get a role for the 2022 rotation. Who knows what his role will be like. If he's not, maybe he'll be the swing starter, that multi-inning guy. So, of course, continue to monitor him. And then from the offensive point of view, we didn't get into him today in detail, but Patrick Wisdom is making more contact lately. He's making uh, better contacts against breaking pitches. Still look for Ortega to continue to look good out there and Ian Happ hopefully he turns uh, the corner shows some signs of optimism but that's what we have Corey we still have a lot of players to follow yeah and uh the season's gonna be over before you know it as as weird as that sounds because it is like a month and a half to go but you know time goes by faster we'll be talking about the the offseason plans before you know it and in order to do so you have to understand what you have with this current team yeah, absolutely. So, uh
2: yeah, for me, uh really just Justin Steele. Really looking forward to that. I think that'll be exciting it it seems that there's a good bit of excitement you know on social media and stuff for that game and you know in a season that has gone the way it has it's it's nice to have stuff like that so looking forward to Tuesday hoping Justin does well Uh, but you know again not putting too much pressure on the specific results just excited to see him uh, take the mound for an MLB start I think that'll be cool and uh, something for all of us to enjoy but other than that I think that is all that we have for you We will uh, come back to you after the Cubs and Brewers finish up this series and break down everything that we saw and uh, you know, kind of continue with keeping our eye on uh, the future, as Jed Hoyter has been saying uh, since this last offseason. So as always, thank you guys for listening to and supporting the Cubs-related podcast. We will talk to you soon, and as always, go Cubs!